You're listening to Bird Note Presents. I'm Ashley Ahern. Bird populations in North America have plummeted since the 1960s. Last September, a study was published in the journal Science, finding that overall, bird populations in North America have declined by 3 billion birds. That's almost 30% of the total population. So what's going on? We decided to take a close look at the biggest contributors to this staggering loss. And we're starting with a design issue. Reflective glass buildings. Collisions with glass in both cities and residential areas are one of the biggest killers of birds in the United States, claiming the lives of up to a billion birds each year. Fall and spring are peak times for collisions, as more birds are passing through cities and developed areas along popular migratory flyways. BirdNote producer Mark Bramhill went to New York City this past fall to meet volunteers who are working to solve this problem. Every morning during migration season, volunteers for New York City Audubon wake up early to go on, as one volunteer described to me, a kind of morbid treasure hunt. I'm with Callista McRae in downtown Manhattan. We're looking for dead or injured birds beneath the glistening glass skyscrapers. I'm wondering what that blob is on the sidewalk up a bit. We get closer and find the first bird of the morning. This is a bird that's so messed up that I'm not quite sure what the species is. The bird is some kind of warbler, its body a twisted mass of yellow and brown feathers. It's also, it looks as if it's got some reddish feathers, um, although that could be blood. Callista takes note of the time, which building on her route the bird was injured by, and what kind of bird it is, or in this case, her best guess. She's a volunteer with the community science project called Project Safe Flight, part of New York City Audubon. They gather data about birds colliding with glass. Each volunteer goes out once a week and checks an assigned route of especially dangerous glass buildings, then tallies up the birds they find. Callista is part of a network of volunteers around the U.S. and Canada. The information they collect is key to helping scientists understand the problem that window strikes pose to birds, how many are dying each year, what birds are most affected, and what cities are the most dangerous. All right, who is this? I think it's a song sparrow. Soon, we find another bird, a song sparrow on its back beneath an all-glass building. The shimmering facade reflects back bright open sky, and to a bird, it looks like a perfect, safe place to fly. It's amazing. If you look up this building, it really does blend with the clouds at the top. So they fly at buildings at full speed, 30, 40, 50 miles per hour or more. That impact, then plummeting to earth and lying concussed on a busy sidewalk, it's no surprise that many of these birds don't make it. All right, so we're at Freedom Tower, and this is bird number three. I think it's a warbler. Its right eye is bruised and shut. I wish it were possible to describe how little these birds weigh. It's like a couple cheese cubes. Finding three or more birds is pretty typical for a collision monitor, and that's almost certainly an undercount. Doormen and groundskeepers of these buildings have to sweep up and dispose of birds throughout the day, or other birds or animals might eat them as an easy meal. So their bodies might disappear before volunteers can count them. But as grim as this work is, it's actually helped Callista. She walks about a mile on her commute, and nearly every day she passes birds that are either dead or stunned on the ground. Before she began volunteering, seeing these birds was almost unbearable. I would get a real pit in my stomach before heading to work. And the sheer pointlessness of the birds I saw on the sidewalk, that just, it really does get to me. 
So now with Project Safe Flight, noticing dead birds might eventually count towards something. Most of the birds Callista and other volunteers find are dead and can only be tallied for research purposes. But some birds are just injured or stunned from the impact and might be able to survive if they're lucky enough to be found and taken to a place where they can get care. By pure chance, I happened upon a rescue taking place in Central Park. Linda Balneves and her husband were in town for a nursing conference. We didn't really have time for this this morning, but we were going to do a walk through the park. So I said, well, at least now we have one with a purpose. They had found an injured woodcock, a stocky brown bird with a long, skinny beak, lying in front of a hotel. And it was just sitting on the sidewalk and everyone was walking by and I'm like, is someone going to help it? Linda initially moved the bird off the sidewalk and into a planter so it wouldn't get stepped on. But after walking about a block and a half away, she felt a pang of guilt and came back. Which is how she wound up here, running late for a session she was supposed to lead with an injured woodcock in a Whole Foods bag. I'm an animal lover. I hate to see them injured. So this is my way of of helping. Hi, I have an injured woodcock. We arrive at the Wild Bird Fund on the Upper West Side. It's New York City's only wildlife rehab center. Thousands of birds come through these doors each year. In the lobby, a lead-poisoned Canada goose wanders around and pigeons and doves coo in the background. Lisa Cole, a volunteer, greets Linda and hands her some paperwork to fill out while she looks over the woodcock. He most likely ran into a window. They're migrating now and uh, the strikes around this time. Lisa goes over the paperwork and gets the woodcock set up in a quiet space to recover. A few minutes later, more people arrive with another injured bird, and soon after another. It's a busy place with a lot of birds. The Wild Bird Fund was started back in 2005 by Rita McMahon, but back then, it was just her helping care for birds in her apartment, working with some veterinarians. And then it became apparent we had to have a place, not my apartment. In 2012, we opened our storefront in a lovely landmark building, and I got to move out the 60 birds that were in my apartment on my husband's birthday. It was a nice present. The Wild Bird Fund has grown to see more than 7,000 birds each year. They see a lot of pigeons, a lot of birds for lead poisoning, but during migration season, there is one common culprit. Right now, the great majority are from the window collisions, like last weekend on Saturday, 26 in one day. That's a lot. Most birds don't survive the impact with glass in the first place. If they do make it, many have concussions or broken bones. Only about a third of the birds brought to the Wild Bird Fund for window collisions survive. So when it comes to us, we see our job as really what we're doing is hospice. Stop the suffering, make the end as comfortable as possible, and have the bird have no stress, fear, give them food before they go, let them have that deep sigh of, Ah, I don't have to worry. I'm okay now. Seeing so many birds at the Wild Bird Fund, injured and dying from collisions with glass, it's easy to wonder, why haven't we fixed the actual problem? Why can't we prevent these collisions in the first place? And there are people trying to solve this problem. Some are approaching from the design side, creating special kinds of glass. There's one with UV coatings that most birds can see, and another called fritted glass that adds subtle dots or stripes to windows. Most of the glass is still transparent and aesthetically pleasing to people, but with patterns dense enough so birds know they can't fly through. 
And this glass can make a huge difference. The Javits Center, a big convention center in midtown Manhattan, is this massive, all-glass building right along the Hudson River. For a long time, it was a major problem for birds. But in 2015, the building was retrofitted with fritted glass and green roofs, and the number of collisions declined by 90%. Now, these solutions aren't perfect. They're often expensive, and some architects are offended by the idea of adding dots or patterns to their beautiful glass buildings. But there are things we can do. Doing the reporting for this story, most of what I saw was pretty bleak. A lot of dead or injured birds. But on Saturday morning, I tag along for something a little more hopeful. Yeah, I saw some movement back there. I'm on a bird walk in Central Park with some volunteers and donors to the Wild Bird Fund. We're appreciating all the birds that are resting here on their migration south. Brown creepers, ruby-crowned kinglets. And volunteers are about to release an oven bird, a kind of warbler that had been badly injured. Rita tells me about the bird. The oven bird came in September 19th. He was clearly a window strike. He was truly messed up, so it took a full month for him to recover. I'm very happy he made it. Our guide, Ricky Ravitz, sets up the carrier in a wooded area, away from most people in the park, and gets ready to open the door. Good thoughts that this little guy will find a safe way out of here, staying away from buildings and glass, find a good path with good places to rest and feed along the way. The oven bird hides in the carrier for a bit, then flutters out into the leaf litter. The group fawns over his little orange crest. (laughs) And then he disappears into the trees. Now he has to make up for an entire lost month of his migration. And there are lots more glass buildings between Central Park and Central America. It is not going to be easy. But in December, the New York City Council voted overwhelmingly in support of new legislation to protect birds. It will require builders to use at least 90% bird-safe materials for the first 75 feet of a building, where the vast majority of collisions occur, the strongest legislation of its kind in the country. So when oven birds, like this one, migrate in the future, their journeys might be a little bit easier. Thank you, little oven bird. Stay safe, little one. For Bird Note, I'm Mark Bramhill. Cities are a big part of the problem, for sure. But to really understand what's going on with birds and glass, we've got to look closer to home, literally. Of the nearly one billion birds dying from window collisions each year, 44% are from collisions with windows in homes, not skyscrapers. We'll be right back with more on that and what we can all do about it. Did you know Bird Note also makes a two-minute daily show? Learn fascinating facts, like how oil birds spend their whole lives in darkness, how to tell a crow from a raven, or what the heck a gizzard is. Start your morning with beautiful bird song, seven days a week. Find it at birdnote.org, or just search for Bird Note wherever you get your podcasts. Now we're going to take a closer look at how the buildings we live in can be dangerous for birds and what we can do about that. 
Matthew Schumar is the lead coordinator for the Ohio Bird Conservation Initiative. He's a wildlife biologist who specializes in ornithology and landscape ecology. As part of his job, he coordinates volunteers in Ohio who are trying to help scientists get a handle on the problem of bird and glass collisions, just like the volunteers in Mark's story in New York City are doing. And Matt has some ideas about what we can do to make residential buildings more bird-friendly. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ashley. First off, when we look at this problem of birds and glass collisions, are skyscrapers the main culprit? They're not, actually. As you mentioned, the majority of the birds are coming from a combination of residential areas and low-rise buildings. In fact, less than 1% of collisions that we know of are coming from these high-rise buildings. They're just in areas that get a lot of foot traffic and a lot of attention, and so that detection uh, is increased, and so we often encounter those more frequently. Are there hotspots or certain regions or parts of the country that are high collision zones for birds and glass? At least in North America, we find that a lot of places in the eastern U.S. where we have significant migratory traffic, you know, birds are coming up through the Appalachians during spring migration because of those lush resources available in temperate forests during spring. And as they're foraging to move through, they encounter the Great Lakes, which is a really large barrier. And so, you know, at this point, they're stopping over to refuel, to either go around or across the lake. And we have a lot of really bright urban areas around these these Great Lakes and in these migratory pathways. Tell me more about the light problem. Yeah, so it's interesting because they're sort of two parts to this issue. It's light and glass. It's not necessarily one separate from the other, although glass is ultimately the big killer here. But lights are acting as sort of deadly bait for the birds. So there's been a lot of research looking at how birds are moving across the landscape. Researchers have used radar data and have found that they're actually moving away from high-quality stopover areas like contiguous forest into urban landscapes. So we know that light is really important for birds to help them navigate during migration, lunar paths and celestial cues. And artificial light seems to have the potential to really disrupt those cues. And so birds are drawn into urban areas and densities that are inflated. Um, And then they encounter these really dangerous landscapes. And so it's the next morning that we find most of our collisions. After the sun comes up and these nocturnal migrants are foraging to fill up the gas tanks for the next leg of this daunting journey, they encounter glass buildings adjacent to green space. And those are the most deadly areas and where we find the majority of our collisions. What can we do about collisions with glass windows in our homes at the residential level? So there is a lot you can do. We encourage homeowners to reduce lighting or modify existing lighting structures to ensure that the light that they want on their homes is pointing at what they intended it to. So using shielded lighting, not using omnidirectional lighting that is just going to kind of shoot up into the night sky and not necessarily at sidewalks. And then treat any reflective glass. If you have large picture windows, there are lots of films and additional products that you can buy that are inexpensive to treat that glass. Some of those like ABC Bird Tape or Feather Friendly, these are products that apply some sort of fritting to the window. And 
Those can be very obvious and draw attention to the window, or they can be really minimalistic. Um, tiny little fritted dots spaced every two to four inches can do quite a bit without really changing the aesthetic appeal or how we can see in and out of those windows. So treating lighting and glass are the first steps. So those black decal window stickers that are shaped like birds, <laughs> I see a lot of people use those. Do those work? They do not work at all. Those gaudy black silhouettes are basically useless. At least the intention with those is that birds would see those as a hawk flying over and it would scare them away. But the thing about hawks is that they move. Those silhouettes are static and if they've been there for days and days and days, they're not really doing anything. What it does then is it breaks up that reflective surface. And you know, if you're putting one of those silhouettes in the corner of your window, like most people do, that's still leaving probably 95% of the window untreated. And anything larger than just a couple inches and a bird is gonna try to fly through that. And so, yeah, they're, they're pretty much garbage. Okay, so the ideal is when you're looking at bird psychology or the way that birds see the world is to just break up those open stretches of glass. And you don't necessarily do that with, again, a fake blackbird decal. You can do it with a lot of these other products you were talking about. Yeah, there are a lot of products. Um, So the idea is to just break up that reflection. We understand what glass is and we can, in most scenarios as humans, sort of tell the difference between what is a park and what is a reflection of a park in a building's door or window. Although there are some really funny YouTube videos of people walking into glass doors that (laughs) prove that even humans are are bad at this sometimes. And so (laughs) if we have trouble in some instances, birds that are organisms that have no way to really discern manufactured glass, they're not able to recognize that as a reflection and they see it as habitat, a safe place, some place that they want to fly to. um, And they can be incredibly dangerous. Now tell me about the issue with green space and as we look at more suburban neighborhoods where there are parks and, and yards that might make it even more dangerous or tempting for birds. Yeah, so it's it's that interaction of glass and green space that really is the killer here. And I, I just want to start by saying I am not encouraging to never put green space out there. Green space is a wonderful thing, but we need to think about how our buildings and our landscape design is sort of integrated to the natural world. And as you get into these more residential areas, they typically have a lot more green space than a downtown metro area would have. And so you may have less glass in some instances, but the majority of that glass is reflecting green space. People plant trees, especially mid-canopy fruit trees around their homes, right at window height usually. And so it's creating this ecological trap, if you will. And then on the public policy side of things, as we heard in Mark's story, the New York City Council passed legislation that requires more bird-friendly construction practices. And I'm wondering, what are you hearing about maybe other municipalities, towns, cities following suit? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's a really challenging topic. Getting environmental legislation passed can be incredibly difficult. The New York legislation was phenomenal. That was a giant win. Not only because it's such a prominent city, but because that was one of the most specific and far-reaching legislation that that we've seen so far. I really love what they have done in New York, and I hope to see that elsewhere. They were really specific about what types of products were acceptable for renovations or new buildings, and very specific about what could get a pass. And unfortunately, 
most of the legislation that we've seen put forth so far, and especially in terms of local projects, is that they've been pretty broad in their wording. And I, I think there is a the, the desire to at least get your foot in the door and get this conversation started and, and making it really broad and generic. But that also leaves the opportunity for a lot of get out of jail free cards. And I think a lot of the legislation that's been proposed has left a lot of loopholes in it. And so I'm hoping that New York really sets the tone here for conversations moving forward and it sets a precedent. And I hope to see additional cities follow suit. So if a bird collides with your window and isn't killed, what should we do about it? What do you do with a bird if you find it in your yard, say, stunned? So if you find a bird in your yard um, and it's stunned, what I would encourage you to do is to put it in a dark space. So either a small box or a bag that can help to calm down that bird. After you can get that bird safe out of harm's way and in a place that it can relax, if you know of a local wildlife rehabilitator, I would call them directly. If you're in an area and you're not familiar with whether or not you have a local wildlife rehabilitator or who that may be, you could always call your state wildlife agency. And they generally keep a list of permitted wildlife rehabilitators and can direct you to the appropriate place. Should you try to feed it or give it water? No, you should not try to feed it or give it water because you could actually do more damage than help. Okay. Matt, for anyone who's seen a dead bird on the sidewalk or had one die after it collided with their window, it's a pretty horrible feeling. I'm wondering how you support your volunteers who are out, you know, counting these dead birds every day. Um, what, what gives you and them hope in doing this grim work? That's a really great question. And volunteer fatigue is a real problem that we struggle with. And it's something that we are trying to stay on top of throughout the season. The one thing that gives the volunteers hope and really pushes them to continue doing what they do, to get up before dawn every morning and walk around downtown areas in the dark, is finding those birds that aren't dead. Um, about a third of the birds that we encounter are alive. And so, you know, every day, even if they're only finding, say, 10 birds, two or three of those are going to be alive and rescued and saved. And so without the volunteer help, most of those birds would probably die. We have a really high success rate um, for our rehabilitation facility in Cleveland, the Lake Erie Nature and Science Center. Um, they've done just a phenomenal job at developing new methods and care standards for these collision birds that we find. And so we often engage our monitoring volunteers in that rehabilitation and release process, but we also take a lot of footage of releasing those birds back into the wild. And we're constantly showing all of our volunteers the animals that they're saving as well. And so for some of these folks, many of these species they've never seen before. You know, we find Connecticut warblers. And this year in downtown Cleveland, we recovered a yellow rail. Yellow rail is a really rare bird in Ohio. Most of the, our volunteers had never seen that bird in their life. And so, you know, to have an opportunity to not only see one, but to save one, that's a really strong thing for our volunteers, and it pushes them forward. And so we try to find a lot of positive in um, a lot of this death and find ways to motivate them moving forward. And they're really proud of all the work that they do. They really take a big ownership in this project, and they should feel really proud. Well, Matt, thanks so much for all the work that you do and for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. 
Matt Schumar is the lead coordinator for the Ohio Bird Conservation Initiative. If you want to make the windows on your home safe for birds, come to our website, birdnote.org presents. We've got links to the products Matt talked about and information on how to use them. This has been a special production from Bird Note Presents. It was produced by Mark Bramhill and edited by me, Ashley Ahern. Special thanks to Heidi Trudell, Mary Jane Boland, and the folks at New York City Audubon and the Wild Bird Fund. Music is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be doing more in-depth stories about the various causes of the decline in bird populations and what we can all do about it. So if you want to be the first to know about our upcoming stories, make sure you subscribe and tell your friends. Thanks so much for listening.